Good morning. It's good to be together on this cold winter morning and uh, hopefully warm our hearts with uh, God's Word here this morning. What are you aiming for in 2024? A man by the name of Zig Ziglar said this quote, If you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. He was an American author, a salesman, a motivational speaker. He's since passed on. He was quoted saying this um, mainly about business, I believe. But I want to look at that and think about that um, in relation to our spiritual life here this morning. If you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. I could ask the question, what is your vision for 2024 also? I'm kind of looking at aiming and vision a little bit in the same way. Aiming has to do a lot with vision. When you aim a gun or a bow or anything like that, um, you have to have right vision to aim right as well. That is why it's important that our aim and vision are true so we can hit the intended target or reach the goal of serving the Lord well. We are a few weeks into this new year. Is your aim still true? Or does it need to be adjusted a little bit more due north? I was with a friend recently and we went outside uh, for a few minutes to shoot his recurve bow um, that he had actually made, by the way, um, he had made the whole thing. And so we went outside to take a few shots, and he was telling me about it and showing me how it works. Um, so he, he took a, like a, he just grabbed a little leaf that was, I don't know, maybe like that big, and he put it on a hay bale, um, and we backed up 15 yards or so, and, um, he, he took like three or four shots, and I kind of watched him, and he showed me kind of how to do it. And then he let me shoot, um, and so I tried it. And it, it was interesting. If you know anything about a recurve bow, um, they don't have any sights on them. And so you, it's all, you, you have to learn it. It's instinctive. You, you pull back, and you just kind of, hold this hand out and you, you sort of aim with this hand and your mind and all you just and you just like look at the spot where you want it to go and, and you you release. And so so I just watched him and he he did his thing and he like hit the bullseye and I was like, okay, I guess I just try the same form and so I tried it and I was way off. And um <clears throat> so so uh, I, I shot, you know, a few more times, and you take that first shot, and you and you take how that felt, and then you adjust, and you slowly you get better. I was amazed in the 15 minutes that we shot how much better um, I was able to get as I got my aim and learned how to aim really with your whole body. You aim with your whole body when you're shooting a recurve bow. Um, he he was very good. He was in us in that circle about every time. 
And I think that's a good analogy for our lives as well. Um, we live kind of instinctively. Um, the sights sometimes aren't really clear. You aim with your hands and your mind and your body um, in a position towards something. Your vision has to be clear. You focus on where you want to hit mainly. And as you aim and shoot, you become more in tune with your bow and yourself and how to hit the target. And as you aim and shoot in life, as you aim at something, your aim can get better and better. Our aim for 2024 should be to know Christ and to live out the power of His resurrection in our lives. You may say, well, what does all that mean? How is it fleshed out? Hopefully the book of Philippians will give us some good advice on what to aim for in 2024. Here's a brief introduction to the book of Philippians. You can turn there. We're going to look at uh, just chapters 1 and 2 this morning. I was a little overzealous, I think, at the beginning. Uh, I was going to look at the whole chapter, and then as I got into it, um, I realized, I said, you know what, there's there's so much in here um, that we're just going to look at chapters 1 and 2 this morning, and then maybe I'll... Um, do a, another sermon on chapters 3 and 4 down the road later on. <clears throat> Here's a little introduction. Paul writes a thank you note to the believers at Philippi for their help in his hour of need, and he uses the occasion to send along some instruction on Christian unity. His central thought is simple. Only in Christ are real unity and joy possible. With Christ as your model of humility and service, you can enjoy a oneness of purpose, attitude, goal, and labor, a truth which Paul illustrates from his own life and one the Philippians desperately need to hear. Within their own ranks, fellow workers in the Philippian church are at odds, hindering the work in proclaiming new life in Christ. Because of this, Paul exhorts the church to stand fast, be of the same mind, rejoice in the Lord always, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This epistle is called Pros, Pros Philip, Philips, Philippesos, to the Philippians. The church at Philippi was the first church Paul founded in Macedonia. Three major themes that we will see in this letter are humility, unity, and joy. It's believed that Paul wrote Philippians from prison. It's one of Paul's most personal letters to a church. It's also believed that Paul received more financial support from the church at Philippi than any other. Philippians is often known as the epistle of joy because of Paul's attitude in prison. Here's an interesting fact also. Paul and Silas were in prison in Philippi when an earthquake hit, releasing them from their chains. And that story is, is from Acts 16. So let's remember the context from where Paul is writing this letter. Maybe that will help us as we go here this morning. Let's also think as we read, as if Paul is writing this letter to Covenant Fellowship, because he has much wisdom and encouragement for us today as well. We may not know the people and places named, 
but the core message is still good for us today. And he's also writing, as we'll see in uh, verse 1, he's writing to the church there at Philippi. So um, that's why we can, we can read this letter, and we'll read part of it today, and we can uh, apply it to our lives, and maybe we should more as a church. Um, sometimes we read the Bible and we look at it individually, but he's writing to a church uh, here. I find it very interesting as we go through these chapters how many times he ties themes and words together from one chapter to the next. And as we go through here, you'll see that um, some words, the same words will show up in chapter 1 as chapter 4 or chapter 2 as chapter 3. He does that several times. Let's watch for that. You'll see words repeated. So let's begin reading. Um, I'm going to read. I'm going to read slowly through here, and I'm going to just make comments as we go, kind of verse by verse. We're not going to look at every single verse individually, but we're going to touch on some of the some of the high points as we go. <clears throat> Philippians one, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of. Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you, you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ." And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. And let's pause there and look at this section here a little bit. Verse 6, has God begun a good work in you? Has God begun a good work? In us, in this church here, we have a beautiful promise here in the beginning verses. If God has started a good work in you and I, then it says here, Paul tells us that he will perform it. He will finish it. Let's go to verses 9, 10, and 11. Are we growing in knowledge and judgment and therefore learning to approve things that are excellent? How do we acquire a taste for the excellent thing? We have to grow that and nurture that. Um, There's things in our lives as uh, Anabaptist people that that we can be, we're known for excellent things. Um, But are we just, do we just do that in 
certain things, you know, that we're kind of, that are high points, or are we working towards being excellent in many things, in all things that we, we do? Speaking of growing, verse 11 talks about being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Are we growing and producing fruits of righteousness daily? How do we produce fruits of righteousness? He gives us the answer right here in these verses by allowing Jesus Christ to produce and grow them in in our lives for God's glory. Producing fruits of righteousness is not something we can manufacture on our own. It's something we have to work with with Jesus on, and that's what, what he says here. Um, which are by Jesus Christ. I think sometimes, sometimes for me, it can be easy to say, well, in 2024, I'm gonna, I'm gonna change things. I'm gonna really do it. Um, you know, and 10 days later, I'm back to my old habits. Um, you know, we have to work with Christ. We have to seek Him in that. Let's go on to the next section. But I would, you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of, co- of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice." We'll stop there and look at this section a little bit. In this section, he talks about how his example in prison was motivating others to be bold with their faith. And I don't know exactly how that was working itself out. If if others were just blessed and challenged by how open he was with his faith um, in prison, and they just, you know, that carried over and motivated them uh, but it was something, something like that. He says the things that happened to him, um, the state that he was in, they have fallen out rather to the furtherance of the gospel. How ironic that many times God takes the things that Satan does and uses them to grow the kingdom of God. Let's go on to the next section, uh, verses 19 through 26. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For me, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose I want not. 
For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Here are some familiar and powerful verses. And Paul kind of makes this outlandish claim that he is totally okay to live or die. Here's a person so in tune and connected to God that living or dying, that in living or dying, it does not matter to him. Here's a connection again back to other verses in verse 22. Uh, he mentions fruit there again. Think back to verse 11. He talked about fruit as well. An amazing testimony here in these verses of a person with a clear aim. If someone asked me for my testimony, would it be anywhere near what Paul is saying here? Am I ready to give all my life for the cause of Christ? Am I ready to die for the cause of Christ if need be? Or when a little suffering comes my way, do I run the other way? I'm preaching to myself this morning as much as to you. Uh, Let's go on. Verses 27 to 30. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake, having the same conflict which ye saw in me and now here to be in me. Conversations that we have, are they grounded in the gospel of Christ? And I'm speaking to myself here again. Are we so worried about surviving that we don't have time for gospel conversations. What are we aiming for in our conversations? Do we just talk about surface things, physical everyday things, or do we dive in deeper and have gospel conversations? Verse 29, he briefly mentions not just believing on Christ, but suffering. Someday we may experience real suffering for Christ. We still live very free in that sense in this land today. But that could change. Um, we don't know what the future holds for us. It's, a, it's an interesting verse there in 29. He says, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. 
something that I think we we hardly know anything about uh, in our world today, or in this in this uh, country. Okay, what are you aiming for in twenty twenty four? Let's go on to chapter two. The the theme of humility comes out in the first 13 verses of chapter 2, and we'll see that here as we go. Um, Let's look at verses 1 through 4 first. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, Fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like mind in having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Talking about humility. Challenging verses here. My toes are being stepped on. If we could do these things well, what a beautiful picture and culture and community we could be a part of. It's something that I've been thinking about lately, that I should try to organize my life and create margin in my life so that I can be available to talk to people, help people in my community more, in my church more, um, Talk to your neighbor. Sit on the front porch. Do we have time for that anymore? Um, I see a lot of empty porches out there. We are so busy filling our schedule with things we need to do or maybe want to do. I don't know. How much is enough? I had to think about us with our children and and the whole situation. Um... And I'm going to use a little bit of a code word here. But in our meetings uh, that we had in Rustburg, basically weekly there for quite a while, um, I say that we probably, or maybe it's more me, um, at times maybe kind of whined about that. You know, we have to drive two hours and uh, spend half a day over and over again. Um, when will this ever end? Maybe things like that. Um, but in the grand scheme of life, <clears throat> like he says here, let every man think not on his own things. Are there people around us that need help? In the grand scheme of life, uh, something like that is really pretty small. Um, it's just a part of helping others. Challenge for me. Esteem other better than myself. Look also on things of others. Do you and I have an outlook? That's what he's talking about here. Look out at the needs around us. What are you aiming for in 2024? Here's a news flash. Paul is talking to the church here. Remember verse 1, to all the saints which are at Philippi. So we can conclude that 
in most of these things, he's referring to brotherhood relationships here. I hang around a three and a five year old a lot <clears throat> and preferring others over myself um, is just not in our human nature. I'm not saying we need to overhaul what we are already doing as a church, but it's a good reminder to be engaged in each other's lives. Life is not designed to be lived alone. We need each other. As much as we think we can handle life ourselves, we are poorly equipped to live life well on our own. Our society around us is pushing us to be more and more individualistic, and we're going to have to uh, push back against that. Let's go to verse 5 and continue reading here. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And let's stop there for a minute. Am I aiming to have the mind of Christ in 2024? It says, and made himself of no reputation. How we like to protect our reputation. I know I do. Reputation, the beliefs or opinions that are generally held about someone or something, or a widespread belief that someone or something has a particular habit or characteristic. Jesus did not fight to protect his reputation, but laid it down to do the will of God. Made himself of no reputation. Servant. Took upon him the form of a servant. What's a servant like? Servant, a person who performs duties for others, especially a person employed in a, ho in a house on domestic duties or as a personal attendant. A devoted and helpful follower or supporter. Jesus left the throne room of heaven to walk among men and serve. Many people today, and even professing Christians included, are chasing after the throne room so they can sit on the throne and be king for a day or two at best. Verse 10, every knee will bow to Jesus someday, heaven, heaven, earth, and under the earth. Not sure what all that means, but it's everything, everyone. Every tongue will someday confess the lordship of Jesus Christ. Will I choose to do it now or have to do it at a later time? Let's go on, verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure.
uh, verse 13 there, talking about connecting verses. It's a reference back to verse 6. He says kind of the same thing, verse 6 in chapter 1. God wants to work His good pleasure in you and me. But like we have seen so far in Philippians, it may include suffering. It did for Paul and the church at Philippi. I think it would be safe to say that it could include suffering. Am I aiming to be humble and a servant in 2024? Let's go to verse 14. Through 16, do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Uh, 14 again is another verse uh, sort of repeating what he said before. Uh, Look at verse 3 of chapter 2, a lot the same. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. And here he says, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Same words here again, repeating the theme. Blameless and harmless. Do people in the workplace tiptoe around you and I? What about fellow believers in the church? Are we aiming to be blameless and harmless in 2024? Sometimes I think for myself, you know, maybe I want this person or that person to know that I'm maybe a little bit harmless or I I mean a little bit harmful. Um, I don't know. Just some thoughts. Blameless and harmless, he says. Verse 15, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, Paul wrote these words many years ago, but it's like that saying, times have not really changed that much, have they? Do we live in a crooked and perverse nation today? Yes, I think we do. I really don't even think we realize all the filth and sin that goes on in this nation and in our cities. The darker the world around, the brighter your light and mine can shine. And he talks about that there at the end of that verse. You shine as lights in the world. Verse 16, the word of life. It's life and death we're talking about here. Uh, before we go on, I'll share a little story talking about a perverse nation. Um, I was with, I was at a wedding not too long ago, and I was sitting at a table uh, with an older couple, and we got to talking about life and different places we had been and they had been, and and um, and he said, yeah, that they at one point in their life had, I think it was in the 70s or 80s had um, tried to start a 
church plant. I think it was San Francisco. I'm I'm kind of fuzzy on that, but it was it was one of those cities out west. Um, and this was in the seventies or eighties, I think. And it amazed me what he said. He said that I don't know how long they were there, but it it didn't really go, didn't really pan out. Um, but one thing they struggled with was he said at that time it was rare to see a straight couple walking around on the streets. Um, and I could not hardly believe that. Um, this is the 70s or 80s. What's it like out there today? Um, how much worse has it gotten? If, if that's what was happening back then. <clears throat> Going on. Holding forth the word of life. This gospel of Christ brings people from death to life and it's eternal life. I think I forget that a lot of times. Life and true living that will never end. Um, that's what the Bible says. Eternal life. <clears throat> okay, going on, next section, 19 through 24. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Him therefore I hope to send presently so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. 20 and 21 there, these verses are again are basically repeating verses uh, 3 and 4 of chapter 2. All seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. We see it in our world around us. Many people seeking for their own. Is it creeping into the church? It's just a question that we can ponder. And then I'm going to end today. We'll just finish up this chapter reading here, uh, 25 through 30. <clears throat> Yet I suppose it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation. 
Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. Epaphroditus. You couples out there looking for baby names, you could try this one, I guess. You could shorten it like we do today. Um, you could call him Ditus. How about that? Uh, it's just kind of a joke. Um, interesting name there. But it sounds like he was a upstanding person. He's... He served so much, is what he says here, that he got sick, or his own health was suffering from it. He cared more for others than for himself. Um, we can't. Uh, yeah, that's a balance. We have to. We don't want to. If we we can't help others if we're too sick ourselves. But um, so I'm not sure what all was happening here. But it says that God had mercy on him. Well, that's part one. We'll look at chapters three and four at another time. Um, what are you aiming for in 2024? I hope, I hope uh, Philippians has given you and me some spiritual goals that we can shoot for in this coming year.